Welcome to the Politics of Everything. I'm Amber Danes, your host and podcast producer. This is a half hour of power, a podcast dropping every week where I unpack the politics of everything, from money to motherhood, nutrition to narcissism, startups to secularism, the environment, quality, and much, much more. Our guests are seasoned in the field or topic of their choice, even if you've not heard of them yet. This is a non-partisan show. So while I love exploring varied views and get a buzz from a healthy debate of ideas, this is not a purely blue, white, green program. Please subscribe, tune in and enjoy the politics of everything. My guest today is a podcast Hall of Fame winner, so this should keep me on my toes. Dr. Ginger Campbell is also a physician, author, and science communicator. She's the author of Are You Sure? The Unconscious Origins of Certainty, and she is a member of the Podcast Hall of Fame 2022. Dr. Campbell began podcasting in 2006 when she launched her two shows, Brain Science and Books and Ideas, both feature interviews with scientists, but Books and Ideas includes more diverse guests, including science fiction writers. And in 2018, she launched Graving Rainbows, which took her interview skills to a more personal level. Brain science is still going strong and is widely regarded as the best podcast about neuroscience. And I have to admit, I've listened to a few episodes and it's fabulous. She spent over 20 years as an emergency physician in rural Alabama. In 2014, she went back to the University of Alabama in Birmingham, where she completed a fellowship in palliative medicine. She now practices palliative medicine at the Veterans Administrative Medical Center in Birmingham, Alabama, where she enjoys both patient care and teaching residents, fellows, and medical students. Ginger enjoys sharing her passion for science and especially neuroscience, and her goal is to make these topics accessible to people from all backgrounds. So a warm welcome to you, Ginger, on the politics of everything. Thanks, Amber. I'm so happy to be here. Podcasting remotely can be challenging, but it doesn't have to be. Since day one of the politics of everything, I have relied on Zencaster's all-in-one solution to make the process quick and painless, the way it should be for those of us who just love great content and want to get our ideas out into the world. If you know me, I'm obsessed with quality in terms of my guests, my sound, and everything about my show has to be great the first time. I'm time poor. It's so easy to use Zencaster. I'm not tech savvy and you don't need to be either. There's nothing to download. Just click on the link and off we go. Zencaster is all about making your podcasting experience easy and with everything from local recording to automated post-productions now in their toolkit, you don't have to leave your browser to get that episode done and done fast. I have a special offer for you and I hopefully you can experience what I have with Zencaster. Go to zencaster.com forward slash pricing and use my VIP code, the politics of everything, all lowercase in one word, to get 30% off your first three months of Zencaster Professional. How good is that? I want you to have the same easy experiences I do for all my podcasting and content needs. It's time to share your story. I love your accent. It's so awesome. And my accent's probably a little bit novel to you too. So I love having diverse guests. But I'm going to ask you a question I ask all my guests. As a kid, did you have an idea of what you wanted to do as an adult when you grew up? Did you always want to be in the medical world? <laughs> I was going to be. <laughs> no. Were you going to be like a, something I gonna, else? I don't know. <laughs> I was going to be the first woman in the NFL. That's the National Football ah, League. <laughs> wow. So you're a sporty kid. Yeah, until until puberty, and then I realized that wasn't a realistic career goal. I grew up in Huntsville, Alabama, which was very important in the Apollo program, putting man on the moon. So it seemed natural to go into engineering. 
I didn't really get interested in medicine until the last year of college. And so I have spent most of my career, um, you know, doing, taking care of people, doing medicine, but keeping a passion for other areas of science. Excellent. I love that. And I guess you were smart enough to to study medicine. It's all very well to want to want to do it, but it's not, you know, it's a highly competitive uh, course to get into, I imagine. So obviously you had the aptitude for that. On to our topic today. Look, the concept of science is familiar to many of us, and obviously you specialize in neuroscience, which I mentioned in the introduction. Can you explain quickly for those of us who might be less familiar with that concept, what it involves and why you like it so much? Okay, so the first thing I got to say is I'm not a neuroscientist. One of my friends in podcasting, Jessica Kupferman, always calls me a neurosurgeon. Not, I mean, I <laughs> I actually started in engineering and, you know, became an ER physician. But I got interested in neuroscience about 20 years ago. It was just what I happened to be reading, really, when podcasting came along <laughs> and, got, and went down that. But the reason that I love neuroscience is that it's about what makes us human. I mean, like if you studied quantum mechanics, you don't really, I mean, it's fascinating. I just read a really good book about it a few days ago, but it's hard to figure out how it relates to your day-to-day life. But understanding how your brain works relates to how you, why, why we act the way we do and why other people act the way that that they do. So I think neuroscience is a great way to get people interested in science in general, because it's about, you know, what makes us us. Yeah, I love it. And I think that's the thing you're fascinated about the human side of it as well. So how does sort of neuroscience in your experience relate to our everyday life? I mean, how we communicate might be one thing, how we operate in a work environment and in our relationships. There are a couple of examples, perhaps that kind of showcase what neuroscience looks like in action? Well, you know, the most obvious one that I usually go to when someone asks me is understanding how memory works because it doesn't work the way people think it does. It's not like a tape recorder where you like have an exact recording of what happened and I have an exact recording of what happened. That's actually not what happens at all. It turns out that every time we remember something, our brain recreates the memory from scratch. That's wild when you think about that, isn't it? It is. And that's why. Even as you're saying it, I'm like, but I'm sure I remember it exactly as it happened. Like you say, like watching a movie, you know what I mean? Where you press record and you play it back, but you're saying that's not the case. Right. And, And it makes sense if you think about the fact that memory is for survival. And so what we need is not an exact memory. What we need is a way to incorporate new knowledge. And so that's what we do. We, our brain stuffs new stuff in, in between and we can't tell the difference. Do you have brothers and sisters? I don't. I'm, I'm an only child. I have step siblings, but I don't. Listeners who have, have, yeah. Yeah. But if you have someone you grew up with and you ever have a conversation with your childhood about your childhood, you discover that you remember things. I have a sister that's only a year younger than me, and it's amazing how different our memories are. Sometimes it's like we weren't even in the same, even when we remember a, a same event, like her memory of my breaking my arm and my memory of my breaking my arm, not the same memory. So People got into these, like, you know, lifelong feuds about stuff like this, right? And if they just understood that, no, our memories are, you know, very um, fragile 
relatively unreliable things. We wouldn't be throwing, you know, telling say, hey, you got dementia because you don't, you told to change the story or whatever. Um, we could be, and memoir, people who write memoirs have sort of clued into this. They've started writing, yeah, I know that my memory of this is not perfect, but this is how I remember it. But it could have a lot of, uh, help people get along better if they understood how memory really works. So that's my, that's kind of my favorite example. Yeah, I think that's great. And I think that makes sense, even though it's a little bit surprising, perhaps hearing that for the first time, if, if you're not sort of familiar with the world of neuroscience. Look, anti-science is the core topic for this particular episode of the politics of everything. I feel like I became really conscious of this of this concept, if you like, during the recent COVID-19 pandemic. And it might have been similar in the US. In Australia, it became very polarizing. It all became about these new vaccines and people became anti-vaccine vaccination. They, you know, became mandatory in some states of Australia, for example. You couldn't go into like a workplace or a mass event or even traveling overseas, obviously, when the borders opened up without being vaccinated for COVID-19. People felt like it was taking away their sort of liberties and there was all those kind of debates, which I'm sure you're familiar with. Why does being an anti-vaxxer, if you like, mean being anti-science? Are they kind of linked somehow? Like it just seemed to me an explosion of this during the past few years. Yeah. Well, first of all, I would say that this, the what I what we sort of call anti-science is not new. It's been going, I mean, it's been going on as long as I've been doing my show. I mean, one reason why I started was because I felt like there was a need for accurate science out there. And, but I've been thinking a lot about this question. And when I think about it, most of the people who have problems with vaccines, they aren't necessarily anti-science. Now, there are people driving, you know, agendas who who might be anti-science, but the average person, that's not the problem. In in my opinion, the problem is that we've become scientifically illiterate. I mean, there's nobody in mainstream media that understands science, so they'll put up some person who has a harebrained idea and a person who has the science and they say, "Here's our fair and balanced coverage." Right? And so I think that the biggest problem is that people don't understand how science really works. And in the case of the, the anti-vaccine situation, I mean, it's really, really, to me, very disturbing because so many people died that didn't need to have died when, because we turned public health in, into a political issue. It's, you know, as a physician, I think public health is supposed to be about public health, Vaccines have long been a tool of public health. And, you know, no one was upset about the fact that flu vaccines were, at least in healthcare settings, mandatory. But all of a sudden, mm. this was the thing. But the thing is, it's very upsetting because the, vac the, the COVID vaccine, it should have been the moon launch of our generation. I mean, it was a fantastic feat of science to get that vaccine prepared that quickly. I mean, I remember when the situation first started, I thought, well, it's going to be two or three years before we have a vaccine. And clearly, you know, we're not really going to get very far till we have a vaccine. But it was a combination of things that made the vaccine available so quickly. One was decades of work that was just sitting on the ready to be to be tapped. And then you then you add the money to tap into that research that had been going on, those mess, the mRNA vaccines, they didn't just come out of nowhere. 
there were people who were working on this and it came along and they were working on vaccines for other diseases. But when this came along, they realized, Hey, this is, this is the time. And so our, our understanding of immunology has come so far back. Vaccines were really before COVID very primitive. And all of a sudden we were able to, to apply all this new knowledge of genetics and, and immunology that has been acquired over the last few years. Cause there's never, there hasn't been any money in vaccines. Right. You know. And it's interesting. I mean, let's face it, the drug companies yeah. would rather us get sick and sell us something we have to keep. Well, that's taking. it. From, from a business but, point of view, that makes that sense. Doesn't, <laughs> but that doesn't change anything about the fact that these were, these are great vaccines and incredible achievement of science. But the problem is, People don't understand science. So, mm. for example, they don't understand that, you know, for example, in the States, Tony Fauci said some stuff that turned out to not be right. That's the way science works. You know, at the beginning, we didn't know, you know, so there was mixed messages. But that's the way science works. Science is not dogma. Science is not, okay, we got all, we know everything and it's fixed in stone. Uh, and you know, as a physician watching it on, on the ground, we had as much, if you want to call it anti-science, we had as much of that within the healthcare profession as outside. I mean, I, yeah, I saw that's an nurses, interesting point just on that I point. I saw nurses yeah. believe things. I, I saw nurses parrot ridiculous, you know, stories. I'm like, you should know better. And people, you know, they, they trust a person. So it, it was, a, mm. it was a very, I mean, I watched at the hospital I w worked at where they kept giving people antibiotics, right. even though viruses don't are respond not to that. By antibiotics, and even us non-medical people know that. You know, you go right. to the doctor and, the average and they person go, doesn't, "Right, the average person doesn't even understand the difference between a virus and a and a bacteria." But we certainly should. But yeah, yeah. so but but um, but the you know the the anti-vax thing has been has been brewing at least. In, in the States and the, the UK, you know, for what, 30 years. And uh, so it's the, per it's the perfect storm. Yeah. No, I agree. And just on that point about the nurses, I had a personal experience of we were between lockdowns in Australia. So this was probably two years ago. And, and I was in a, you know, just a, a shop, a retail outlet. And I had a woman behind me who was wearing all the masks and we had to digitally scan in to go into the supermarket and all of that stuff and she was she was in a nurse's uniform and obviously she'd come off a shift and she was telling me oh you're not they're not telling you they're they're you know they're injecting people with HIV and just wild stuff which the sensible me could dismiss but I guess when it's coming from someone who is in that space and she's like oh I wouldn't have got it if you know if I didn't have to to, to go to work and people are dropping dead and they're not talking about it and I just don't understand how that became such a common phenomenon globally like we're on opposite sides of the world and it's the same thing right right it's like the conspiracy thinking just yeah absolutely mushroomed. i mean it was one thing when they were denying that man ever landed on the moon that oh didn't yes really hurt anybody but this stuff kills people kills people yeah absolutely and look i think it's an interesting i'd love to look back on this with some hindsight in a few more years and see how you know how the science community as well as I guess the historians really remember that time because I do think it was a tipping point and it created a lot of tension I think in people's households even you know I had friends who half the family anti-vaxxers half aren't they couldn't get together for Christmas like they were willing to you know die on that hill if you like metaphorically speaking 
rather than do the thing and get the vaccine, which I just found crazy. But, you know, obviously I'm the optimist of me hopes that if people could understand better, but I also know that people don't change, you know, if they're, they get stuck on something, stuck in their ways, all the, all the information in the world won't change their mind. So that can be, but, um, you know, the, the, the political leadership that, at least in the United States, that turned it into a political issue when it should have been a public health issue where everybody pulled in the same direction. To me, that's the most disturbing. Absolutely. And then, look, there are many modern examples of conservative anti-science polemics. You know, I'm thinking of things, you know, um, related to global warming even, environmental issues, you know, the way in which we talk about the energy crisis, which is obviously exacerbated by, by the war in Ukraine. Why do you think that seemingly these facts about things, like we know, you know, climate change is real, like the science backs it up. I've just finished a master's in, in this area. and Still, I'll get people just saying, oh, but, you know, the planet's always had different climate and look at the Ice Age and, you know, why do you think that these sorts of science-based debates, if you like, even though for me it's kind of a done deal, it's not a debate, why do you think that, you know, groups and organisations mobilise these things to create friction in society? What is it about science that really gets people going? Well, I I don't know that it's science per se, but I mean, the techniques, the techniques that people are using are the, I mean, really the tobacco industry invented some of this stuff, right? When, when they, you know, that's 50 years ago when they, nah, 60 years ago, when they first began to figure out that cigarette smoking was, was bad. Oh yeah. The tobacco industry started the the you know it's not decided there's dissent the 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 facts are not clear blah 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 it's the same the same stuff that that they're i mean the same tactics um that that there's that they're that they're using now and that's why the fair and balanced issue is such a problem because if the if the people in control of who gets on the air so to speak don't distinguish between the valid points of view and the, you know, less, the ones that aren't supported by evidence, the average person doesn't stand a chance. And then if the person has some religious leader telling them that they should not believe it because it's, you know, they should not believe it, I mean, Galileo was determined was was condemned by the Inquisition because he said that the Earth went around the Sun. So, That's right. I you remember know, there's that. this whole yeah. thing about you know I don't. So know it goes why, back years and years and years right, and years. I don't really. know why religions are so threatened by. Well, I have some ideas. I think. This is one of my most controversial podcasts. So thanks for playing with me. But look, and to be for full disclosure, I, I'm of Jewish background, but I'm also a believer in science. So for me, they're not mutually exclusive. I guess it to me, it feels like another political type realm where it's about controlling people and thoughts and you know, dogma in some ways. I, I don't know what it is, but like, you know, even in the Jewish community, ultra-Orthodox, they didn't mm-hmm. know about the vaccines because they don't read the newspapers or the internet or secular stuff. And so if the rabbi says don't take it, nobody took it. And because, you know, often large families living together, that didn't end well during the pandemic. Nope. So <laughs> it, it's a hard one to really understand from our point of view, but it seems like it's a historical 
you know, fact that over time religion and science seem to be in some degree of conflict. Explain your view on that. I mean, yeah. I, I yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, obviously religion's not a monolith. There are religious people who acknowledge the science of evolution, and there are people of faith like Al Gore who are committed to combating global warming. So you can't just make a blanket statement. But I, I think it comes down to two entirely different ways of trying to understand the world and perhaps more importantly, the place of humankind in mm. the world. Because most religions are based on a fixed set of truths, which they see coming from a divine source. And from their viewpoint, if you doubt or you change your mind, it's heresy even though you don't usually hear the word heresy anymore. In contrast, science is not a fixed set of beliefs or even a fixed set of facts. And this is something that most non-scientists fail to grasp, partly because the way science is taught in school is so bad. I mean, they just, they teach it in school like it's a bunch of dry facts. And so people don't understand that that's not really what science is. So, you know, they hear the story of evolution up against the story of creation, and they just think it's a choice that has nothing to do with evidence. Uh, of course, there's the creation science, but we won't bother with that. Um, <laughs> yeah. But science, science, I mean, my sister's gone to Israel at this very moment, with, and she went with a guy who was just talking about how wonderful the creation museum in Kentucky was. And I was like, oh, my God. I just kept my mouth up. But <laughs> But anyway, they have a replica of the Ark. Isn't that exciting? But excuse me, I, I guess I've given away m m my opinion about that. But but science is really, it's, it's a method. It's not a set of facts. It's a method for trying to understand the world with the idea that our understanding is going to be constantly changing and evolving. I just realized, because I was reading this wonderful physics book a few days ago, I didn't know this, but... Do you know that they actually figured out the Earth was round back in the days of the ancient Greeks? No, I've never heard that. There you go. I've learned something new. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't know this. I mean, it's like not a new idea, right? But it's okay. But we didn't but, believe but, that for a long time. Well, but pick, it, you know, flat Earthers were but, a thing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And they're well, they're still a thing, right? Um, it's really a method that has a very simple rule the experimental method, which is very simple. It's just that you're going to test your ideas and agree that if they fail, to like you make a prediction and it doesn't happen, then you move on. I mean, the reason why we believe in relativity is that Einstein made all these, I mean, really weird predictions that have turned out to be true. Yeah. Okay. So, and like I do neuroscience, I mean, it's very fascinating. One of my focuses is on the things we once thought about how the brain worked versus what we now know about how the brain works. Most of it has to do with how we measure. And if you look at the history of science, it's always like that. Like the stuff Galileo figured out, it was because of the telescope. Before the telescope, that wasn't right. Um, the microscope made it possible for us to discover microbes and infectious diseases, okay? So those instruments allow us to discover new things, but they also sometimes also bias what we can know in any given time because what we can know is is partly according to what we what we ask. So it's true that he, that science is done by humans and so it's not, 
you know, it's not any kind of perfect thing, but it's not. The, the thing that makes it different from religion is the fact that it's supposed to change. Mm, that's true. Right. And, and most religions don't want anything to change. By definition, they have the truth. Yeah. For all time. Right. Yeah. And for all time. Um, and so that's, you know, that's kind of a place that, you know, unless you want, I mean, there are people that have, that are people of faith who have figured out how to make that work. But, you know, and when I was, when I was a kid, there were p- people, you know, were very, you know, religious, but they also believed in science. So if you look back at history, I sort of, I fear that where we are now with all this anti-science is more typical of history as a whole than we would, li- than we would like yeah. to believe. And that's an important point because I think we think, it, some of us just think about the here and now and what we've experienced most recently, but if we look back over time, there is a there is a pattern there by the sounds of it. Yeah, interesting. No, well, that's um, that's an interesting debate, which obviously we can't solve in a in a thirty minute show. But I do appreciate you kind of unpacking your perspective and some some observations there. Changing tack a little bit, what would you say is the best life advice or business advice that you've ever been given, and why? So in, I call the 90s my new age period, and I had a mentor who said that you should to always show up, and I, I mean be where you are, you know. And she also said, if you tell your, you, we live into whatever story we tell ourselves. So she said, make your story big, live into a big story. If you have a little story, that's the life you're going to have is going to be a little story life, but. The number one thing is you got to show up. She can't have a story at all unless you show up. Yeah. No, I like that. I think that's powerful and applicable no matter what your your profession is or where you are in your in your business life. If we spoke again in a year's time, Ginger, what would be your number one goal to have achieved and why that goal? Well, right now, it's just to get my visa and go oh, to yes. New Zealand. Yep. That's a big, that's a pretty big thing. I, it's, I, <laughs> I had my job offer for seven months, and I've been waiting for the medical council to approve my credentials for. So, if anyone out there is listening that can help, (laughs) (laughs) well, they they say that oh, we have another ten weeks to decide, and I'm you know already sold my house and living. I'm actually literally, you know how they talk about podcasters recording. Oh yeah, I know that. I've done that before. (laughs) Well, I never actually have until now. I'm in my sister's closet, but um. Uh, and, you know, I, I kind of hope I would like to do an, a new podcast when I go to New Zealand. And I would like to actually, for the first time ever, I would I would love to have a, a Kiwi co-host because I've, I've always done solo shows. And I think it would be I always tell people who are thinking about podcasting, you really, if you can get a co-host because, it, you know, going it alone it is, is hard. hard. Of course, you have to give up some amount of, you know, control. But. Um, but that's, that is my, it's your hope. Yeah. I like that. I think that's a good call. Final takeaway message for us as we wrap up our conversation today on the politics of anti-science. Well, I think it's important to realize that it's, it's not a conservative or liberal thing. I mean, we've got people who are anti-science on all ends of the spectrum which is a little bit ironic if you think well, they about do. it. The two guys that can't believe on anything agree, on agree that. that they yeah. both hate. Isn't that like the extreme yeah. of everything? Vaccine, <laughs> isn't that just like crazy? But but that gets back to my my 
contention that it has to do with the fact that our population has become scientifically illiterate. But it's difficult because science has become so, you know, hard. But scientists are learning that they need to communicate more clearly. But I think we also need journalists to realize that when they do what they call balanced coverage, they just confuse people. And they need to quit giving airtime to the people whose, whose ideas don't have any uh, evidence um, to support That's right. Them. Because, I mean, the way that people choose, you know, people rely on consensus. I mean, that's, you know, our, you know, sort of hardwired way of deciding what's right, right? You talk to everybody and you, but if you are listening to about something you know nothing about and all you see is one voice that says this and one voice that says that and the voice that's all emotional i mean because you know they tell you that the vaccine killed somebody and blah 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 who do you think is going to win out yeah that's that's important to remember that yeah. I mean, I'm the one that took care of the people who died because they weren't vaccinated yeah. you've been like at the, the front line I had you've been who, there the guy i had who was vaccinated but got it from his granddaughter who wasn't. Mm. See, I look at it as vaccination is not about you. It's a community thing. It's about protecting everybody. It's about protecting the people who can't be vaccinated. It's about protecting the people who don't mount a good immune response. So, you know, there should be a point at which my, it's not about rights. It's also about our responsibility to one another. Absolutely. Uh, There is one other thing I would want to share on this topic is that um, in episode 208 of Brain Science, I have Xander van der Linden from the Netherlands, who is the author of a book that's very appropriate to our conversation. It's called Foolproof, Why Misinformation Infects Our Minds and How to Build Immunity. And he talks about, you know, why it is that these bad ideas, you know, they spread so much more easily and and how and what we can some things we can do about it yeah no I love that and you are obviously uh very knee deep into this world so we do appreciate your time if you do want to connect further with Ginger Campbell of course there's some details on the show notes until next time take care and I hope you get to New Zealand Ginger thank you thanks so much for listening today if you've enjoyed the politics of everything I thrive on your feedback so please add a short review and share the podcast with your network through Apple Spotify, and all the usual suspects. I'm always on the hunt for new and diverse guests. So if you or someone you know has a fresh idea you're busting to get out there, please email me at amber at amberdanes.com and my crew will get back to you very soon.